Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count. Guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Star Wars Explained. We have an amazing guest with us today, someone I'm so excited to have back on the show. He is writer of Light of the Jedi, The Blade, Lando, Poe Dameron, Obi-Wan and Anakin, The Rise of Kylo Ren, and the current Star Wars flagship title for Marvel. And that's just his work in Star Wars. He's got a new book out tomorrow titled The Endless Vessel. Please welcome back Charles Soule. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for joining us again. Of course. Of course. It's a pleasure. Seen you so, since uh, last time was London, I think, right? Oh yeah, had a had a great time in London. Yeah, uh, very late at night, we were uh-huh. enjoying ourselves. I think, which sounds terrible, but we were at a bar. We were at a bar. Yeah, and uh, Molly cornered you about Briaga. I apologize for that. <laughs> she she just wouldn't let up. But but to be fair, you did dance as she was uh, <laughs> complaining about whether or not he was alive. So, <laughs> yep. Well, you know, phase three is coming, so all those questions are going to get answered uh, before we know it, and. Uh, you know, I can say the way that all of the High Republic authors felt at Celebration to see the way that fans were so engaged with those questions, because it's not just did Buryaga live or die, it's, it's a whole raft of people, did they live or die? It's <laughs> what's going to happen with, with you know, Elzar and Avar and Marky and Roe and the Nile and what, how is all of it going to go? Uh, and we, we kind of get it from online, but then seeing it in person is always just such a, a truly powerful experience for us. And so uh, I guess thank you know, you guys, but also everybody else who who came up to us and talked to us at the uh, at the show. It always it's just amazing stuff. The panel was amazing to be at. Just hearing the unbridled screams of of people, fans of different characters, uh, the announcement of Vernestra Rowe uh, in live action that mm-hmm. got a major major reaction. As but it should, as it yeah. should, it's amazing. So exciting, and we'll we'll talk about all of that, but. Uh, I, I I did think that celebration was just a wonderful time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin talked about how great your your meetup was. Uh, how how did that go? I mean, it, again, every experience was was phenomenal. The um, the 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 difference between reading, you know, Twitter or 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 sort of interacting with people. Um, in an online way, which is a little bit remote versus seeing the passion that people put into their, their cosplay, their analysis of the stories that we're writing, the way that they see the connections that we put in, even if they're subtle, the way that they're anticipating what, what clues might mean. It's just, uh, it's astonishing. And, and, you know, people like want to take selfies with us and want our autographs and, and it's all very, um, it's very heady because we work really, really hard on this stuff, but we also mostly do it by ourselves. Uh, we obviously interact amongst the group, which has expanded to basically doubled in size in the last little while. But but even that is is not the same thing as seeing hundreds or even thousands of people who are totally invested in the thing that you've made. Um, and you mentioned Vernestra Rowe with the Acolyte coming out. Uh, obviously, there's a big High Republic component to Jedi Survivor, which which dropped not long ago. It's just, you know, we, we started this in in, in in a in a hotel lobby bar um, south of uh, south of Skywalker Ranch years ago, and the idea that it's gone from those first little weird conversations to this is uh, I don't know. It just makes me happy. It makes me smile every time I think about it. it. It it works for the fans as well. As a major fan of the High Republic, playing Survivor, which is also a, a, I've really loved Fallen Order. So getting into that and meeting the the character Dagon Gera, seeing mentions of the Nile and mm-hmm. the emergence that destroyed Kobo's moon. Uh, all of these things just felt so rewarding as a High Republic fan and also a Star Wars video game fan. 
what is that like to see something that you and the other luminous authors built and now uh, it's being passed off to other creators and they're expanding on that are, are you involved in that process at all i mean to a to a degree like they there's obviously the there's a lot of internal i guess you can call them source books or, or sort of reference materials that are that are within um Lucasfilm and Story Group, and Story Group itself is a great resource for other creators. Um, so, so it's none of it is done in a vacuum. Like I know that Survivor um, definitely, you know, obviously they clearly referenced and, and paid attention to the things that we did. I mean, um, Leslie Headland is is a is a an avowed fan of the High Republic, and is and the choices she's making on Acolyte are not arbitrary. Like she's definitely trying to include the things that we made and built. Uh, so it's. It's great. It feels like it matters. I mean, again, we, I think it shows in the material that we've created, but we, we work so hard on this stuff and to see that other people are respecting it and taking it as seriously as we do is just the, it's the coolest, you know, you, you want to, I think it's every, like, I mean, I know it was my, you know, one of my goals when I was like 12 or whatever was to, to, to tell Star Wars stories. I, I certainly told, I've been telling Star Wars stories my whole life. They just were mostly like running around with my buddies in the backyard, like swinging sticks at each other, right? Pretending they're lightsabers. And so the idea that we all have gotten to tell more Star Wars stories, new Star Wars stories, additive Star Wars stories uh, that are told through our own lens uh, with characters that we created that have now created this era that is expanding into all these other zones. I mean, it's, it. I cannot imagine I mean, I can imagine like a very, very, very few things that would be better than this in Star Wars, but but basically it's the top of the top and you you, you just have to sit back and, and love it and be happy about it and, and be excited that there's still more to come. There's still a whole, like a lot of the really good stuff you guys don't even know yet, which is exciting. Well, I've, I'm certainly excited for phase three to start, but we're still in the midst of phase two. It's starting to wrap up. I, I believe we still have about a month's worth of comics left, but uh, let's talk about your comic in phase two, The Blade. Mm -hmm. uh, in that, you showed us the origins of the Barish Vow, which you first created way back in 2017 for right. your run of the Incredible Darth Vader series. Uh, did you have that idea way back then, or did you just see a fun opportunity to connect the two eras? How does that work in your own head? So I know, I, I feel like I keep you guys very busy with connecting various elements of my, of my, right. my sort of miniature little chunk of canon that I get to play with. Um, but I, I'm always kind of like I just did it. I just wrote a, a big script um, that that connects another piece of something else that I did into into the High Republic time. And I, I haven't got notes back on it yet, so it's possible that that thing I did won't actually go. But as for it's just something I enjoy. Like I always enjoy when other authors do it. I an example of of that. I think maybe the first one that I really saw and connected with was Stephen King because he he writes. Uh, he has this kind of central mythos built around this the dark tower which is something that he does but he also has dairy he has castle rock the idea that there's this kind of slightly fictionalized main where a lot of his stories take place um and then there's the the uber narrative of the dark tower tower and so he will have characters from different stories popping up here and there and just sort of like you, you can tell that there's this sort of connective tissue to it which i always really really liked and because i have been fortunate enough to be able to write star wars in so many different eras from high republic to sequel trilogy i think i am not certain but i probably have close to the the broadest span time span of of any hot star wars writer right now um i could be wrong but i think maybe and the that just lets you drop stuff in right it's all one history so something that happened 300 years ago could directly influence something that happens in the in the star wars present day and it's a really it's a fun thing so i enjoy it personally um to answer the question you actually asked specifically, I did not know that there was going to be a lightsaber gunslinger guy uh, who had a sister who had the same name as Barash and so on and so forth. Like, I didn't know those things. What I knew was that this was something very old for the Jedi, something that had been around for a long time, something that was part of their lore that seemed like it made sense, right? Like, it, 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 it there are times when you need to step away from active duties in, in any field to just sort of get your head straight. I mean, academia has a sabbatical uh, and it's it's kind of that idea. And so it seemed just like something that would make sense, but it, the 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 core to it, the thing that I make, think makes it interesting is that it's usually born out of a gigantic, a gigantic mistake. It's born out of a, a time when the Jedi who takes the vow 
the barrage bow has been listening to the force in, in a way they think is very clear and they think they they've gotten clear guidance from the force but it turns out they were just they they were utterly wrong they blow it and so they have to kind of get their head straight and and listen and hear the force again and i would say that there are certainly some jedi who probably don't ever really get there um, or they get there and come out of it the other side and a very, very different person, which is what what happens and is okay. Like I think the I don't think the Jedi Order is is as rigid an organization as maybe some would suggest that it is. And I think that it, you know, high Republic storytelling um, bears that out. Like there's a lot of different ways to be a Jedi at different times in the order's history. Uh, you know, the way that Luke Skywalker is a Jedi, the way that Ahsoka is a Jedi are not at all the way that say like, you know, let me think, uh, Jocasta knew was a Jedi, right? They're just very, very different, different times, different situations, different frameworks. Um, and so the idea that you would step back from the order to just kind of like get, get yourself back, back in order makes a lot of sense to me. Oh yeah. And, and I love that flexibility that the high Republic allows. It's been so fun to see as one of the Jedi that I've pointed out several times is Ram Joe Maram, just yeah. a, a, a Jedi that I see as almost an inverse of Luke where he has what Luke wants. Luke is sitting in his garage wishing he could be a Jedi Knight, but Ram is kind of the opposite. Where he's like a Jedi Knight, but he only wants to be in his garage mm -hmm. and do his thing. And I'm like, that's so interesting and cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to to talk about another character or element of Star Wars that you've brought back multiple times, uh, Darth Momin has been yes. popping up for even longer, like eight years now. Mm -hmm. When you created that helmet in the Lando comic, did you imagine that being so prolific? when you when you first put it on the page it's the same kind of thing like you i you you when i make something up that's new for star wars there's i i i rarely do it in a way that's just kind of like okay like this is only going to be in this one place if you see me creating a new a brand new character who is not you know like stormtrooper number three or something like that who immediately gets murdered um usually by darth vader the <laughs> If it's if it's a named character that has a backstory that clearly I've thought about and put some time into, then odds are there's more story either backward or forward for that person that I at least have kind of sketched in my head a little bit. Uh, and we're gonna see some of that in um, in the mainline Star Wars series. There's some new characters that are that are popping up. Does it mean I'll ever get around to using them? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I certainly think it's fun to think that they can and and. I've been working in Star Wars since 2015, and I've gotten around to a lot of callbacks and references and bringing things in again, which again, keeps you guys very busy figuring out what I'm referring to. But whether it's locations or characters or weapons, or, you know, like I still want to tell the story of um, Drew Costin's lightsaber rival at some point that he uses in the Vader series. So, you know, I'll, I'll get around to it. Like I'm, I'm not going anywhere. So it'll, there's plenty of time. Great. And you mentioned uh, that you are a Star Wars writer that has touched just about every major corner of the universe from the High Republic all the way to you've written one of the very few stories that take place after the rise of Skywalker. Is that challenging to bounce around uh, the, the whole timeline so frequently or is it kind of refreshing that you get to tell a variety of stories? Um. One of the things that's nice about it is that I get it gives me a chance to research stuff and, and go and revisit things. So there are areas that I'm very, very strong in where I feel like I've I've memorized everything. And then there's areas where I need, you know, I'll need to check in a little bit. Like I'm I'm the the I think it's called the dark times is what people are calling it now between episode three and um and uh, episode four. And a lot of that material has been explored in um in secondary media, right? So it's things like, uh, you know, books and novels and comics and stuff like that. And I've, I've read it pretty much read it all, if not all of it, but you still like th those are zones where I'll have to go back and research a little bit or re review a little bit. Some of the, you know, like the, there are elements post six that I, that I sometimes have to refresh my memory, like what actually happened in empires and specifically, you know, like there, there are, there are a lot of bits that I, I have, but I need to sort of bone up on it a little bit, so to speak. But that's cool because it gives me a chance to revisit these these books that I like, or these stories that I like, or these comics, or these video games, or whatever it might be. Um, so, and you know, you guys are often very helpful with with that. Uh, Wikipedia, obviously, is very helpful with that. There's all kinds. StarWars.com. There's a lot of great resources. And if and if I really don't know, Story Group is always there to back me up. Um, but I, 
I like the fact that I have in my head, like a, like a history professor's general sense of pretty much the whole thing. And then I get to dive in and do the deep dives on the research bits that I really want to do. So I, um, I don't know. I think it's a, I think it's a real privilege. And it's, it's also really nice to think that Lucasfilm, who is ultimately the arbiter of this stuff, like I don't get these, I don't get to, I mean, I guess I kind of, I, I don't really get to pick and choose my job. It's always like, let's, let's do a project in this way. And then, and then from there it spins out and there's a development process. But, um, I, you know, I've, I've been asked to write in, in all of those timelines from sequel and a tiny bit post sequel to high Republic and, and, you know, like the earliest parts of the high Republic. So it's, it's cool. I mean, what, how could I complain? It's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I like the way you say that it, it's just cool. Uh, about a year ago, we learned that you were hired as a creative consultant for Lucasfilm, and uh, your your official statement on it was, it's cool. Is there any way you can expand upon that, about what your responsibilities are, what that looks like? I can. It is very cool. <laughs> um, it is it is about what you'd think it is. You know, the the general remit for me is connectivity, because I work in so many spaces and my my work touches so many different things there's a lot of oh well you know would be cool what if we did this pulling things together from different places so um so i ended up i or i end up reading a lot of different things i end up you know talking to a lot of different people who are working on different parts of the star wars universe um i don't have my hands on on everything but i've i've been fortunate to work with a lot of really really cool talented people and hopefully just make Star Wars better, not just with my own work, but with the galaxy as a whole. So I, it's, you know, I can't give you specifics. I can't tell you what I have worked on or haven't worked on. That's not the way it works, but it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm still doing it. It's still a, a, a good chunk of my time and I really, I really like it. I hope it goes for a long time. Well, yeah, it sounds very cool. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, you, you recently finished the Kira or the Crimson Dawn trilogy of comics, mm -hmm. which they were a blast to read. Uh, Kira got pretty close to defeating the Sith. So in your mind, what was the biggest element in her downfall? Oh, I think it was just her inability to connect with people and trust. I, and and this is pretty explicitly said in the text. Like I, I, I went into it thinking, okay, why does she like literally went into the story with War of the Bounty Hunters, the whole before I even did it, because I needed to justify what i was doing to to lucasfilm to let me bring this character back it wasn't a it wasn't a foregone conclusion that i was going to use Kira from the beginning it was what i had and what was sort of approved was boba fett loses han solo on his way to jabba's palace after empire strikes back and everybody in the galaxy converges trying to get time trying to get solo but the idea was that someone had to have stolen han solo from boba fett or, or taken the carbonite somehow and who was that person going to be and i had i've a number of ideas but just in thinking about it i was like the the absolute best person the person that gives me the most story electricity is is kira right lady kira han's you know ex-girlfriend his his like high school sweetheart so to speak and the the person that he you know you're not really sure how she stands with respect to him especially because at the end of solo she kind of like I wouldn't say she betrays him exactly, but certainly lets him down. You know, the thing he's expecting to happen doesn't happen. Um, and so you you know what's happened to her in the, in the intervening years between Solo and her reappearance in War of the Bounty Hunters. You don't know why she wanted Solo. You don't know what her goals were and so on and so forth. But then when you start building it out, you realize, well, this is somebody who has a, a very complicated relationship to power, has a very complicated relationship to the Sith. And she she was raised in a way where or grew up in a way, I guess, where her, she really literally could trust nobody. The person that she, the one person she probably, I mean, I'm making generalizations based on the storytelling we've seen, but the person she, she could trust Han Solo, theoretically, she chose not to, to save him from herself, I think. And that tells you quite a bit about her, her, her sense of self, her worldview, how she sees the galaxy. Uh, and so she, she embarks upon this quest, which is, very noble to try to break down the power structures in the galaxy to just make things a little bit more um, evenly distributed in terms of who has the ability to succeed and who doesn't. And and she knows the Sith are evil based on her time with, you know, just learning about it from Darth Maul. So she just wants that gone. But when it comes down to it, at the end, she 
she's created these relationships that are entirely transactional. You know, everybody that she she works with from the Knights of Ren to Ochi of Bastoon is is they're not her friends. You know, they're not really doing this out of out of love. They're doing this out of fear or hope for advancement or money, uh, whatever that whatever the motivating factor she decided to do. And I think at a certain level, you can kind of feel that if you're if you're in a relationship that is that way, like you feel differently about I hope you feel differently about your family than you do your boss. You know, it's it's because it's a different kind of thing. And Kira's inability to take that step for herself is why in the end, the Knights of Ren like didn't they didn't they chose the Sith as a, as opposed to Kira, which is a is a crazy choice on the face of it. But it also kind of makes sense within the story like they're who, who what can we believe? What can we rely on? Well, we believe the Sith are going to probably win because they always win. So we're just going to bet on them instead of the woman who kind of lied to us and used us and betrayed us and got half of us killed. So um, it's a bummer. You know, I think I think if Kira had had been different, the tragedy of of Crimson Dawn may have gone a different way. The Return of the Jedi, would, we wouldn't have even needed it, which would have been a shame. But uh, anyway. Well, I, I thought that you wrapped it up so, so well. Uh, I, I think like halfway through the Hidden Empire and the Star Wars comic, we saw Crimson Dawn agents leaking the existence of the second Death Star. And immediately mm -hmm. I was like, oh my God, Kira did it. She doesn't know she did it. And, and then in the fifth issue of Hidden Empire, like you say exactly that. And we get to see her sitting alone while the galaxy celebrates uh and now I've, like i just gave myself chills thinking about that again it was such a cool moment of her getting what she wants not in the way she wanted and she's just alone while the the rebels are off partying with the ewoks it's such yeah. a i mean the 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 small little bit of victory i gave her was was cadelia the the young mm -hmm. woman that she you know she comes out of the out of ethan Sachs's bounty hunters comic um she she was a young girl. I think she's about nine or ten years old, and she she was the heir to two criminal syndicates within the Star Wars galaxy. And so, in a way, she was orphaned, and 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 so in a way, she was growing up to be somebody who was very much like Kira herself. And so, Kira sends an assassin to kidnap her early in the in the story for reasons you don't really understand, and then has her at her right hand and keeps seems to be continuing to teach her lessons throughout the entire story. And by the end, you realize that that was Kira's philosophical escape hatch or her her way to to say even if everything else blows up i have given this person an opportunity to make a to walk a path that i didn't path they could be exactly like me or they could be different but at least i've, I've set that person up to do something differently and that other than her contribution to the to the rebel alliance victory which are substantial as we see um even though they're kind of behind the scenes cadelia is meant to be her her victory in a way, although that's even qualified too, because you don't know what Cadelia chose to do. You don't know where she went or where she is, where she's going to pop up or what kind of person she's going to be if somebody ever picks up that thread next. But she can tell herself she did a good deed anyway. Well, and, and bringing up Cadelia is a perfect segue into my next question, because I think the comics side of Star Wars is where I'm the least knowledgeable about as far as the creative process goes. So what's the biggest challenge when you're writing not only like this new major storyline, but also you're writing your own Star Wars comic and then you've mm -hmm. got Greg and Alyssa and Ethan writing Vader and Afra and Bounty Hunters and it's all working together. It's hard, uh, you know, in, in the way that that the consultancy is cool. Uh, I, I would be lying if I didn't say it was wasn't difficult. It, it is very difficult to do that. It requires a lot of coordination, a lot of discussion. There's um, a new event coming up. Uh, the the Dark Droids, I believe it's mm -hmm. it's announced. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I have and, it written down in my own notes. So it's yeah, so I'm sure we'll talk about it. But so <laughs> so that is is a is a real deal crossover. I so so the way that I think of these things is I, I've been working on comics for a long time. And there's different levels of crossover. There are there's like a state change or a thematic crossover, which is when something happens in one book that makes every and every other book reflect it. So like if in book a, the sky turns red, in all the other books, the sky is red too, but it doesn't necessarily mean the characters are flipping over from one to the other. So that's just like everybody's sky is red, but they're still doing their own stories. That was kind of the way that Crimson Raid and Hidden Empire worked. You saw things happening because Kira instig instigated the syndicate war and and the the end of Hidden Empire with the force ripple and just like things happen, but they're they're not 
they don't have to be exactly beat to be reflected in the other books. Whereas War of the Bounty Hunters was a scene by scene crossover, which is a very intricately constructed situation when all four of the books are telling the same story. And in order to get it, you have to sort of read them in release order. And it all sort of like, literally you'll see the same scene from different points of view. And those are awesome when they're executed well, they're murder to assemble because you have to, you really have to get timelines perfect. You have to be in constant communication. You have to show like everybody has to understand the rules of the story. It all is very, very complex. Uh, and so what I can say is that where the bounty hunters was that way, Crimson Raid and Hidden Empire were thematic or state chains crossovers. And then Dark Droids is another mega intricate crossover. So what we're going to get is um, story beats that we see reflected directly in other in the other series. It's It's our big like, I guess it's our summer, late summer, because it starts in August, I think. So it's our late summer mega event. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. We're, we're, we're meeting a lot to talk about different bits and pieces of it because there's a whole, like, we're really digging in hard to droids themselves and how they work and how they would, how they would deal with a situation where, um, you know, they are essentially kind of prey in a way for this, uh, this larger entity that is very interested in them and, and how they have access to the Star Wars galaxy. Um, and it's, uh, it's very creepy. It, there's so many like scary, weird, horrifying parts to it. It is, it's like, I, it's no accident that it's coming out, you know, that the really scary stuff is going to hit in October, which is, you know, <laughs> Halloween month. Um, I don't know. I'm very, I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be really cool. And I, I don't think people are really ready for what we're doing, but, but that's good. Surprises are good. Uh, you were answering these questions as if we talked about them beforehand, leading right into my next questions. It's perfect. So I, I, I'm very intrigued by the character of Ajax Sigma, who's been mm -hmm. set up in Revelations, uh, the the one shot from uh, what six months ago or so. Uh, but he's this droid who is violently fighting for the liberation of his kind. And I, I know you have a legal background, so I'm curious what your take is on droids in Star Wars, their sentience. Their roles in the galaxy it's something that's been explored touched upon by star wars before mm -hmm. with characters like l337 uh but I, i'm curious your thoughts on it well my thoughts are going to be pretty clearly expressed in dark droids uh, i would say if you want the charles soul manifesto on droids and star wars <laughs> and how they work and how they're they're they sure seem like they're sentient at least some of them do you know i'm not sure if every like laborer droid is as sentient as like an r2d2 is but there is a there is a mechanism that is presented in dark droids that helps to explain it. At least the, the reason some droids seem different than other droids, um, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, the the thing about droids in Star Wars is that there's a there are a, like a lot of them, and and they're essentially programming, right? And different people program things different ways. They're all sort of works of art, and so art can be expressed in different ways. So the way I see the droids is not necessarily the way that everyone else has to see the droids but it it all it all makes sense to me and it makes sense consistently within the story but that's kind of what i was getting at before in terms of the close coordination that's required between the various storytellers because greg pock has to understand exactly this this droid manifesto that's being presented in dark droids as does ethan as does Alyssa, as does everybody um so that we can uh properly execute those themes throughout the story so my feeling about droids again like i kind of don't want to get into it too much because i want the story to speak for itself but my general sense is that droids are are executing their programming they're designed to do things that is that is for sure but there can be a point when they take a leap to a moment of greater understanding and which i don't think is precluded by anything we've seen in the Star Wars films at all. Um, but I also think things that seem like independent thought and action by droids can also just be programmed. Like it's all, it's there's there's like a, a, a muddiness to the middle of it where there's a lot of interesting things that can happen. But uh, yeah, I think, I think people who are interested in the way droids operate in Star Wars are really, really going to like dark droids. I, I think that's the perfect tease and you don't have to go any farther. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, I have to imagine that your legal background was also helpful as a writer for stories like Daredevil and She-Hulk, but have there been any Star Wars stories where you've been able to incorporate that experience into this universe? Uh, there are there are two coming up that will have very significant uh, um, 
very, very significant legal elements. I've, I have been asked for a long time uh, about doing a Star Wars legal drama because I, you know, I have, I, I am known for having written a long run on Daredevil and having written a very prominent run on She-Hulk uh, and consulting on the She-Hulk show and so on and so forth. Like being a, a lawyer writer dude is something that is part of my, my bio for sure. So um, the, I will tell you where, like one of them, should I just say this? I guess it's not, not that long before it comes out. Um, I'll hold it. But there's like, when you, when you hear what it is, you'll be like, of course, that's what he was talking about. Of course, that's what he was going to do. And it is, it is, it's great. I, I am really, uh, I'm very excited for, for the first one that will appear. The second one won't appear for a uh, couple of years, but it is very cool. And it's, it's a, it's a zone that I have not, like, it's a type of law that I haven't really worked with before. So I'm excited to dig into the real world analogs and then filter that through a Star Wars lens and see how they would approach doing this thing legally. Um, but the other one you'll see, you'll see much sooner. You'll see it. Uh, you'll see it probably around the end of this year, maybe beginning of next. Awesome. I'll, I'll go off script a bit just to say that the, we have friends who run a blog called the legal geeks and they have occasionally uh -huh. done a uh, courtroom, uh, I, I guess, dramatic courtroom. So at San Diego Comic-Con a couple of years ago, they did a court martial mm -hmm. of Poe Dameron where they acted out and the, the yeah, audience yeah. got to be the jury. It was very fun. Yeah. Uh, but I, to, I know those, I know those folks, uh, they have, I've, I've either we've, they've reached out or I don't know. I, I, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I get a, a fair number of interview requests that I can't do, but I've definitely heard of, of that one and I may have appeared on them at some point. I'm not really sure, but <laughs> I think they're, I think they're good people. Oh, they are. They definitely are. Uh, but to, to go back to Ajax Sigma a little bit, he ties into the High Republic era. Um, mm -hmm. I'm assuming, we don't know yet, but I'm assuming his time was set apart from like the path of the open hand and the Nile. Do you see yourself already continuing to expand the High Republic era after the main publishing initiative concludes? Do you, do you have more ideas that you want to explore or do you think you're going to be like, it's time for a break when phase I mean, three is over? I have ideas for for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. I have so many ideas. Um, it's really more like where where should I be putting my energy? Because I have, as you know, at some point we'll talk about you know my next original novel. I do a lot of work that is outside Star Wars. I realize this is a Star Wars podcast, which is why we're talking about what we're talking about. But like <laughs> I I have a lot of a lot of things I work on, and I I I love the High Republic. You know, I'm when all is said and done, I'm going to be the guy who wrote the first novel and the last, well, the adult novel, first adult novel and the last adult novel and kind of opened it and closed it. And I, I I'm not going to say no uh, at this point, but it feels like that's a very. Um, like a very, a very good, good chunk of work to say, this is what I did for the High Republic. I mean, I've been, you know, I, I and the other the other four um initial architects are still, we're all still like, so in, there's, there is not a start like a high Republic story at any level that doesn't have one of us giving input on it. So, so what you, I mean, I guess you haven't seen that much from me in terms of direct work or letter of the Jedi. I wrote, I wrote, I, the storm, I wrote the blade, um, a couple of those starlight stories. And then I'm going to write trials of the Jedi. Am I missing something? Well, Jedi brave in every way, which is the book I'm doing with my daughter, yeah. which I'm super excited about uh, broken um, blade. Yeah, the blade. Uh, is, there the, is the broken blade your phase three comic? Uh, no, I'm not going to talk about the broken blade right now. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. No, it's not. It's not a. It's. I'm. I'm joking. It's not that big a deal. But the the broken blade is a. Is is super cool. It's very. <laughs> let's just say that it's really it's really neat. And I I don't. I'm not. I didn't drop that tease at the end of the blade like accidentally. Like that didn't just sort of show up randomly. But. Part of the fun of this is having people, hey, wait a minute. He said he was going to do another thing. When is that happening? What's huh. happening with it? And not interesting. It. And just letting it be, letting it sit out there. And at some point it will land and you guys will be excited. Okay. That's interesting. Well, uh, you did it again. Uh, segued into my next question about, so you wrote the first adult, adult novel. You're writing the last adult novel. Mm -hmm. It feels like a lot of pressure to literally bookend this entire initiative. So I'll just ask. How are you feeling? How are you with that? Well, I feel like I pulled off Light of the Jedi um, pretty well. 
And I agree. It is one of my favorite Star Wars books of all time. Thank you very much. I'm I'm very proud of it. Um, and with the finale, with Trials of the Jedi, it gives me an opportunity for for the payoffs. Uh, and and we have been their payoffs that will have been building up for for years. I mean, Light of the Jedi came out in January 2021. Trials is out in spring of 25, I think. And so we there will be four years of, of all these setups and all these things and all these amazing things. And I'm, I won't hit all of them. Other, other writers will be having some of the payoffs and some of their, their stories too. But like, I know pretty much everything that happens in that book already, because we've, you know, it's, we already know, like there'll be room for interpretation. I'm sure we'll have some ideas along the way, but like that book is going to just, it is it is an absolute roller coaster ride straight through. It's like a rocket to the moon. It is, I don't know, give me lots of metaphors, lots of amazing. This is a real amazing metaphor situation. Um, amazing situation metaphors, they all apply. So I'm pretty confident that it's gonna deliver. Um, and I also am really looking forward to flipping back into the High Republic prose feel because I I don't write high the High Republic the way I write other things. There's a certain um, I don't know. Like there's a vibe, there's a there's a music to it, no pun intended, right? Like Avar Chris, but like there's a there's a there's a feel to it that is is unique um, that I'm excited about. I actually kind of I I I wrote one of the stories in the For Light and Life anthology that's coming out. I think it's September, which is the the big sort of bridge YA anthology that all ten writers have something in. Um, and my story is about uh, Belzettafar and Loden Graystorm, obviously set before uh, the Rising Storm. Um, and then, you know, so I, I was able to, I don't know, just click back into them so quickly. And it was, it, it felt amazing. And so I'm, I'm feeling excited about writing Trials of the Jedi. I'm not jumping into it for a little while yet. I have um, basically the rest of this year and then and then 24 is going to be pretty much spent on, on Trials of the Jedi. So uh, I think people should be excited about it. There's some really cool scenes in there. I think it's going to be really fun. Perfect. Well, and I think that's another great segue into uh, your work outside of Star Wars, because I'm very interested to know how your writing uh, differs when you're writing The High Republic versus your other storytelling. I'm actually in the middle of reading anyone right now, oh, awesome. and I actually think that it it has a, a familiar structure to Light of the Jedi, where you're bouncing between characters and time periods, and each chapter ends with a little cliffhanger, and I'm like... Mm -hmm. I want to know what happens next here. So I have to read the next two chapters and then like it, the same thing happens every chapter. So how do you see uh, the differences in writing Star Wars versus your original works? Well, the, the thing you identified uh, is something that is in all of my books, the, the sort of you finish a chapter and you really, really, really want to know what's going to happen next. Every chapter is essentially uh, an issue of a comic. Uh, you could say where, where it ends with a, with a huge, sort of tease or a twist or something that makes you really want to continue and see what's, what up, you know, where it goes. Uh, I think every novels, novels take everything I have. I'm not a casual novelist. They are, they're by far the hardest thing that I do. And uh, whenever I do one, it represents usually at minimum six, six full drafts of writing and rewriting, which is, you know, these books are at least a hundred thousand words a piece. And so going through and you know, I basically I write the book and then I write I rewrite the entire book and then like every word, every sentence. And then I from there, it's about fiddling and tweaking and seeing what people think might be missing when I have outside readers and so on and so forth. So they are incredibly labor intensive. I think that's why they hopefully they feel the way they feel. They feel very meticulously crafted on every level. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I love them too. It's, it's like everyone is a, is a Mount Everest for me. And the idea that, that I have an audience that supports that kind of craftsmanship, like it's, it's really, it's cool. You know, like I've got a, um, trying to think of a comparable example, like somebody like a, like a, I don't know, like a woodworker who makes really elaborate carving or like, a, you know, it's, a, I'm, see, the thing is when I start pulling these analogies that I start like comparing myself to like Michelangelo and things like that, which is <laughs> not my intention, but the idea is Leonardo da Vinci, uh, Michelangelo, Bernini, like people like that had, had patrons who, who were able to indulge somebody in the years it might take for them to say, paint the Sistine Chapel or listen to me again, I'm doing it. I can't help myself. My books are not quite that level, but they do take a lot of time. They do take a lot of focus. And so I'm very grateful that I have enough of an audience 
that that it's it's viable for me to put that much time into one project as opposed to putting it into 20 different projects which is about equivalent in in sort of time um so you know i don't i have i answered the question i'm not sure that i've actually answered the question uh you can you can run me back if if i'm if i'm off track uh, I think so. I, I guess what, what's the key difference that you feel uh, in your writing styles when you're writing Star Wars? Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> okay. Yes, this I can say. So, um, yeah. So the difference really is that I think Star Wars is a is first and foremost about um, emotions and adventure. So those are the two touchstones that you're really going for when you're writing it. You're writing for you know for speed and thrill and and these moments of of great sweeping emotion and and whether it could be any, it could be fear, it could be sorrow, it could be joy, it could be exhilaration, any of those. Whereas um, my other novels are, those things are present in them. You know, you definitely have moments of, of extreme emotion and so on and so forth, but there's also a, a level of, um, I guess, it, they don't only have to be that. I can I can I can sit and take my time in a in a character study or a moment or a or a digression that is serves the story and serves the themes I'm working with, but but it doesn't always have to be quite as propulsive. That said, you know, I think my books are always pretty propulsive. It doesn't matter if it's Star Wars or not. But like if you look at the endless vessel, it it is it's about a lot of different things. Um, it, you know, there's a whole middle section of that book that is set in 1789 <laughs> that is about a, a, a woman whose husband dies and she happens to be a woman with, with financial resources and access to scientific resources. And so she hires her entire crew of like scientists and engineers to solve death and because she misses her husband. And that is, that is in some ways not that different. I mean, that's kind of what Anakin does when he makes his deal with the emperor, but it's, it's, it's just, I'm exploring it from a different lens. I don't have to be quite so focused on, okay, when is the next lightsaber fight going to happen? Um, I can, I can, you know, think about this woman's grief when she is, you know, 30 and as well as when she's 70 and how that might evolve. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, of, I think I'm dancing around the idea of saying that, that I can explore more like adult and sophisticated themes in non-Star Wars books than Star Wars books. But I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's more just, Star Wars is is an adventure series, generally speaking. That that element needs to be there. And there are ground rules within it that whether it's adhering to the, you know, the the genre conventions, and Star Wars is its own genre, I think, in many ways, um, you know, things you simply cannot do uh because it, it breaks Star Wars. You can't, you can't, you just can't do some things. Um whereas with an original novel, you can do anything you want and you can you can find whatever way in you want to to the themes. Um which is interesting to me. Well, uh, you mentioned the endless vessel, which when this interview comes out, the book will be out tomorrow. So congratulations, first of all. Thank you very much. Uh, what would you like to say to Star Wars fans that you think will, uh, what will Star Wars fans enjoy about the book? And maybe you kind of already touched on that. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot. So so, so the endless vessel, I'll, I'll give you the quick, like one, two, three plot summary of what the book is. Um, you, you have the world uh, that we live in today, uh, maybe a few years advanced from now, but basically this world and and humanity has been kind of been been hit by the realization that we're in we're in big trouble. And which I don't think again is that is that distant from the reality we're actually living in. Like there's a lot of of rough things that are circling around all of our consciousness is right now, uh, whether it's climate change or political unrest or, you know, just just a sense of, man, there sure are a lot of us and there sure are a lot of uh it's hard to it's hard to balance all the things that everybody needs and wants at all times. And so, so the world is sort of getting, uh, I mean, like darker and denser and, and people are reacting to that in different ways. And, um, some people are kind of just checking out of their existence and being like, I'm just not going to do anything anymore. I'm just going to like sort of chill out, uh, and, and hope things work out for the best someday. Uh, other people are, are literally checking out and, 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 you know, dying. And then there's this third group who are who have decided that because humanity has kind of blown itself up, that that no one should do anything other than just pursue happiness all the time. They're sort of like manic hedonists. And so they're going around doing kind of sort of terrorist acts kind of things that are uh, designed to present prevent people from thinking too much about the future and just focus completely on the present. For, so for example, they'll burn a 
um, they'll burn a library because the libraries are designed to like learn things and, and think about your future and build. And, and they don't really want people to do that. So they, they, they're, they're called team joy, joy in the book. So against this backdrop of, of, of this is kind of what's happening to the world. It's getting darker, stranger, more chaotic, crazier. You have a woman named Lily Barnes, who is a, a scientist who lives in Hong Kong. She's a British expatriate. And she finds this piece of technology that she cannot explain. It is like leagues advanced from anything. It, it's in her field. She works in climate change mitigation and it's, it's, it's so far advanced from what she's familiar with that it might as well be from from the future from aliens or something like that so she goes on a little bit of a, like a treasure hunt to find out who made this thing and that leads her to an intersection with the second group i mentioned which is this group from the late 1800s or late 1700s who decide they're going to actually solve death and they end up because they're 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 sort of based near Boston, which is full of Puritans and who aren't that psyched about people trying to solve death, uh, they end up having to build the ship and flee the United States, and they end up they've been sailing around nonstop for 250 years. This group of like geniuses on this ship trying to solve death, and they're the ones who made the device, which is a bit of a spoiler, but but um, Lily's story intersects with the story of that ship, and then the third part of the story opens up, which is the thing that the people on the ship found while they were trying to solve death, which turns out to be the greatest treasure in, in like in all of human history. And so that's 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 the best summary I can give. It is full of of genre elements. It is full of exciting, thrilling chase like chases and 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 you know action sequences and all that stuff. But ultimately it is a story that at its heart is about happiness and how we lose it and how we look for it and where we can find it. I, I present what I think is my direct answer to this is how we can be happy in this increasingly dark world. Uh, I think it's the only way we can be happy in this dark world. And it's, it's, you know, um, very clearly presented. I think just like my thoughts on droids are in dark droids, my, my thoughts on happiness are, are in this book. So, you know, it's, it's my attempt to write a big sweeping, like an epic, like a big, massive story talking about the biggest possible questions of existence and life and who we are, where we came from, what we should be doing. Uh, but it also has like cool robots and <laughs> like laser guns and stuff. It's very, there's a lot in it. Uh, it's very ambitious, but it's super readable, super fast paced. And I think people are just going to love it. Uh, philosophical finding hope in dark times adventure that sounds like yeah it would be right up a star wars fans alley I which so. uh, i i wrote or I, I read the oracle a year when it came out just off of having read your your star wars comics and i was like oh i i love his writing in star wars and i have to check out oracle year really liked it and finally now that now that you have a third book coming out i was like i've had anyone forever and so i'm like i'm reading that one because i'm a completionist uh, and really enjoying it. Awesome. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting that you, you always seem to find little twists on how one person or one thing can completely change society. Uh, what other inspirations have you drawn up, drawn from, from other stories or universes or, or just what inspires you in general? Well, what you just said is, is a very true thing. I think that anyone does have the ability to change the world. Uh, and I think everybody does change the world just by being alive and existing. I think you, whether you're the president of the United States or you know the emperor of the universe or whatever, or you're just a, a person who who has the people in their life and the things that they do with their life, you are changing the world just by existing. You are, you know, you are hopefully making the lives of the people that you connect with better. You are hopefully making the lives of everybody better by however however you choose to life or spend your life or spend your time. Um, you know, I have, a, I have an overarching kind of philosophy, which is that, you know, you can put one of three things into the world with every, literally every single action you do can be, can be sorted into helping neutral or hurting. And, you know, sometimes you can't avoid your, what you do being sorted into one of those categories. Sometimes what you do hurts just by existing, like by being a living human being in this time, to some degree, we are hurting other people, hurting the planet. But there's a lot of things you can make choices about. And I think if you just try to sort your activities as much as you can into that helping category, you have changed the world for sure. Um, you know, we all will change the world just by being alive on it in the time that we have. And it's up to all of us to try to 
be conscious of the way that we're affecting the world and those around us. So um, I think my novels are a, a way to take that basic theme and expand it out into more fantastical and, and cool and, and exciting and thrilling and fun to read adventure kind of style stuff. But, you know, if you think about what, a, again, I'm not comparing myself to a Jedi, but I also think that the 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 theory of Jedi and how Jedi operate is um, was is baked into Star Wars from the very beginning, which is that there are not very many of them. And in a lot, a lot of the Star Wars storytelling we've seen, there are like two of them, if any. And so, but yet they managed to make the world pivot around their desire to do good and to be heroic and to help other people and to bring light into the world. And so, you know, in a galaxy of trillions upon trillions upon trillions, there are maybe 10,000 Jedi at their height. And they still manage to be this force that everybody knows about, a force that brings light, a force that does like incredibly powerfully good things just by choosing to do them repeatedly over and over and over. And so, um, you know, I think that that's, like an obvious truth to me that that anyone has the ability to put that light into the world, whether you can use a lightsaber well or not. I, I think that was beautifully said. Well, I, I'm out of questions, so I'll just <laughs> close out today by saying thank you. You've given me personally a lot of joy as a Star Wars fan. The High Republic is one of my favorite Star Wars things ever. Uh, you also got me way more invested in Star Wars comics than I was growing up. But whenever people ask me, what should I read first to get into Star Wars comics. I always say, start with Lando if you want something short or the Darth Vader run. Like, there's such good introductions to Star Wars comics. Uh, but th thank you for all that you've given to the fandom. Hey, it is, it is my pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. I hope, uh, you know, people will check out the Star Wars stuff for sure if they haven't already. Um, and and if you haven't, uh, if you have checked out the Star Wars stuff and you want to take a spin through my my original novels, it's the first was the Oracle, then anyone. Now the new one out tomorrow as this airs is the Endless Vessel. And I'm, I'm super proud of all of them. I don't think you'll be let down. They're all very relatable uh, and fun. So have, having read like exactly half of them right now, <laughs> what one and a half of them, uh, I, I really do enjoy them. They're very fun, adventurous, like you said. Uh, and I just one of the joys of like diving into all that the Star Wars content has been getting to uh, be introduced to new authors that I haven't read before and then going and checking out their other work. It, it happens all the time. So uh, I know Star Wars fans can get wrapped up in trying to keep up with only Star Wars. There's a lot of it, but uh, mm -hmm. take some time to, to expand your horizons as well. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing whatever you make of all the different references and connections I'm going to be dropping into my work going forward. Oh, yeah, you teased plenty of stuff today that I'm already thinking about. But uh, right. thanks again. And thank okay. you all for watching. And may okay. the force be with you. Take care.